Welcome to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, season two, helping pilgrims get ready for their first pilgrimage walk on the Camino. With your host, Camino guide and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. I am always on the lookout for unique stories to share with you, and I have a few of them coming up as we hit the final stretch on Season 2 of the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast. Hi, this is Nancy, your host and guide, coming to you on the day I am scheduled to fly to Madrid and make my way to the Camino Frances. As I make my way to the airport, cross the Atlantic, and travel by train to Pamplona, I will be thinking of you, all of you who are either on the way now or will be traveling soon to start your first ever pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago. I will be thinking about the courage and determination it takes for you to embark on this journey, the obstacles you have faced and have faced down, the many logistics you've coordinated, the gear you have assembled and the crazy mix of emotions you are experiencing as you make your way to the airport or train station. And then I will be imagining you taking your first steps on the trail, full of excitement and anticipation, and perhaps feeling a little anxious about what lies ahead. I'll be imagining you in Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port, France, or wherever you're starting your walk. I imagine you with your backpack loaded, mountain or trail before you, unsure of what is to come, yet somehow so determined to do this. In your heart, you know you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You've researched, you've prepared, you've planned, you've packed, and you have tackled another of many hurdles you've gotten yourself to your starting point. Can you see it? Can you imagine yourself there on the trail? I can. I can see you on your way, on your Camino, on your journey. And then you will have your Camino story to tell. In this season of the podcast, I've been able to share with you lots of pilgrim stories, stories of people who, just like you, are getting ready to walk the Camino de Santiago. Have you noticed that every story is unique? We haven't run out of things to talk about, and I doubt we ever will. Today's story comes to us from Boston, Massachusetts, in the U.S., where Pilgrim Yana is getting ready for her first pilgrimage. Yana has two young boys at home, and she's going to share with us how she is making it work to get away for a few weeks to walk the Camino Portugues. Before we meet Yana, let me mention a couple of things. First, if you haven't already grabbed my top 10 Camino tips that don't usually make the top 10 list, you can do that by following the link in the show notes. That gets you on my email list so you can receive even more helpful tips and information for before and after your Camino walk. Second, if you are on the fence about walking the Camino in September this year, let's talk. 
it's not too late to pull together your own pilgrimage of a lifetime. You can contact me through my website, thecaminoexperience.com, or through the link in the notes to find out the other ways I help first-time pilgrims get started on the right foot. And finally, a couple of people have let me know that they can't find the show notes in their podcast player app. They are there. It might just take some clicking around, and it might also be easier on a computer than on a smartphone. But if you really can't find them, I want to direct you to my blog, which is on my website. Again, that's thecaminoexperience.com and look for the menu item called blog. Okay, are we ready to meet Yana? Let's do it. So, hi, Yana, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm just so glad it was so, such, I was so delighted when I heard from you in this, really, I know, I hope I don't overstate it, that this is such a unique situation that you're going to be going off. So I like to always start by putting the pin in the map and have you tell us when you're walking, what route you're walking, and how much time you plan to take. I'll be landing in Lisbon for the Camino Portugues. I'm leaving everything really loose right now, which is an incredible thing that I'm not particularly used to doing. I'm typically a lot bigger of a planner, but I decided to really open myself to this experience in in the deepest way I can by not being a meticulous planner. So flying into Lisbon, taking a train up to Porto, and if the timing works out, I'll be in Porto around 10 o'clock in the morning. and. At that point, I'll decide if I'm ready to start walking or want to spend the night there. And I'm even, I had ordered my credential ahead of time. So it should be arriving in the mail soon. And that will even allow me to make a decision of whether I start from Porto or take a train to Marijanos, Marisanos. That is another starting point that people like to take on the ocean. So if I feel like overwhelmed by not wanting to be in the city, because I've actually been to Porto before and I've walked a section of the Camino with my brother about four years ago that was almost the section of like from Porto to Marisanos. I'm mispronouncing the name. So I feel like I've gotten that walk in and I might want to take it again and I might not. And so, yeah, that's that's the, the start of it. Okay. Well, I I have to say, I wish our listeners could see your face because your smile when you talk about these plans is crack your face open huge. And so I can really feel how excited you are to do this journey. And I didn't know that you had already walked part of it. So I'm going to ask about that too. But let's clarify a couple things. How much time will you have for your walk? Once you get going, let's just say May 16th to... I have a one-way ticket, which is the most exciting thing that I've never done in my life. And um, I don't have a return date yet. I'm really leaving things quite open. I'm very lucky to be able to do that. You know, at some point, probably mid-June, I'll be back. But yeah, I'll figure that out when when it's time. I I might have some additional plans to see my favorite band somewhere in Europe. Um, because they happen to be there in June as well. So that would be amazing if I could line up and, you know, one more event before I head home. Wow. Wow. And now everyone's wondering who your favorite band is. 
So they're called Google Bordello and I've been following them for about 10 years and they're actually like a huge inspiration for my life and a lot of the traveling that I've done because I've gone to different places to see them. I've never gone to Europe though, so that would be a first and it would be really amazing. Wonderful. Oh my gosh. So this is going to be really truly a trip of a lifetime because there's so many different components that are different cuz I remember you told me you have traveled throughout the world and the US, but this has got some really unique components to it. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I have traveled by myself, but not to this kind of extent and definitely not with this little bit of, you know, every not knowing everything as much as can be known ahead of time. All my other trips have been very planned out. Okay. So what is the allure of having a trip that's not planned out? <sighs> well, I think that it opens me in a much deeper way to the unknown. And the more I learn, take in and just experience about other people's stories and the way that they've navigated the Camino, the more I understand. And, and also the whole idea of the Camino begins when you decide to, to take it on. And that has been so true for me in so many ways. There's already been a great number of magical things that have come just by saying yes. And I just, I'm going to believe that that is going to keep happening. And I know that there will be challenges and I know that there will be unexpected things that I can't predict, but I'm just feeling like if I let go and, and give more surrender to believing in myself, trusting myself and trusting the universe and trusting the Camino to hold me, that things will work out as they're meant to. And so, yeah, that's why. Does that feel courageous to you or does that just feel like that's where I am in life and that's what's next? It feels like both, I guess. I, I think that once I'm on the Camino, I will have a, a much greater sense of what courageous feels like. At this point, being at home, I'm just thrilled, excited, and like I have all high vibration feelings about the experience. I know that when I get there, there will be things that I, I don't, you know, I can't possibly predict right now. So seeing how I handle them in the moment is a big curiosity and something I'm hopefully going to have space to like find the lesson in, find the embrace in, find something positive to look at it from. So yeah, both. Wow. That's that's it. I love the idea. The Camino starts when you say yes. Are there any of those magical moments between yes and now that you could share with us? Oh, sure. So, uh, well, my dear friend, Carrie, who was one of the greatest inspirations, why I'm choosing to go on the Camino, who had done it, I'm trying to remember how many years ago back now, but I want to say about 10 years ago, and she did a portion of the Camino Frances. She just had the most remarkable experience. And I had originally thought of doing it on some kind of group tour or something. And she was like, absolutely not. You have to go alone. Like it's non-negotiable. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to totally believe you. And, and it, it wasn't a hard convincing, you know, I was like, okay, like, let's do this. And once I started kind of opening up to people about my plan, it's amazing how much I like this new friend that I've made in another band who 
came to Boston recently and I was just talking to him, you know, during, before they went on and I shared with him that I was doing this and he was just like, I've done the Camino Frances and I'm like, Whoa. And so he's like, yeah, let's talk. Let's like get deeper about this, you know? And, um, and, and so we did, we had a great conversation that night. We had a follow-up conversation. He gave me a lot of wisdom, a lot of great advice. Thank you, Rob. And he was kind of the start to like some of this magic. And then the next day I went to this spiritual center at a town right next to mine that I had never been to before. I sat in circle with about 30 people I'd never met before. And I had invited my family to join me that day, but for different reasons, I just ended up going alone. And it was such a moment of realization that here I sit among 30 strangers and I don't, you know, I don't really know anybody. I don't know what's going to happen. And there happened to be a ceremony that night of hape, which is this like tobacco powder that is inhaled through the nose that you have like in a, a spiritual experience with. And I had never done it before. And many people in the room had, and I was just going to go for it and try it. And so it was this like, awakening to there are people in this room that I'm putting my trust in. And I'm also trusting myself to know that I'm safe enough to try something in this space. And it was such a marker of, you know, what's to come. And then when we shared in the circle after the experience, and I expressed that exact sentiment and said that it's the start of my Camino, the man next to me like fell to his knees because he had just come back last week from his third Camino. And so we ended up talking for a good, you know, clip afterwards. And he shared with me a lot about his experience. And so in addition to those two examples, all of the people that are just so open and wanting to, to help other pilgrims to pay it forward to like, share all the advice and support. It's so magical. Mm -hmm. And you get that feeling of like, I'm in the community already. What I love about that is that, you know, so many times when we're talking about getting ready for the Camino, we're talking about how to pack and what kind of boots you need and what backpack should I have and what's the best this and what's the best that. But to recognize the spiritual component of it so early on and to focus on that and to have the people who you're attracting sharing with you about the Camino, having those kinds of conversations means you're on a particular path on the Camino, right? So you you might not get your boots right, but your heart and spirit are on the on the journey. <laughs> nice. Yes, absolutely. Mm, I love that. I just want to sit with that for a few minutes and just kind of be with the beauty of the deeper experience. And it's something that so many of us can't articulate really well. And and so I think what happens is People just want everyone to feel the way that we feel or the way we felt on the Camino when we had those magical moments, because there are many of them. And there are many moments that are not pure and simple, not magical on the Camino. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that we remember. And those are the ones that we want people to have. And I, I love that your friend said, no, you have to go alone. And it's so funny. I love this because I, I walked alone the first seven years that I went, I always you know, I had traveled a lot, was used to turning up in foreign countries on my own. And it was easiest for me to go alone. 
it was just, that was my, that was my wheelhouse. I'll just go alone. And so it wasn't scary. It wasn't intimidating. I had no idea what I was doing, but what the heck. And I, what I've discovered is that people want for you what they had. So anybody who says you have to go alone, that's the best way to do it. It was the best way for them. And they want you to have that experience. And I think that's so loving and generous and it's not for everyone. You know, walking alone isn't for everyone. And I want to make sure that people know that because your Camino is you going out on your journey in the way that's right for you. So I applaud you. Thank you. And I feel too that I could be looking at this as a once in a lifetime experience, which of course this specific Camino will be and no other Camino will be what this will be. However, I'm also looking at so many people that have done like yourself, like that come back multiple times after the first one and do it in different variations, perhaps with a friend or a spouse or a group or alone again, you know, and so I see the the prospect of doing it again in the future a different way and then kind of having the best of all the worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So tell, tell us a little bit about your family and how your family feel about you going off on this adventure and how you, how you negotiated all of that. Sure. So I think, you know, my husband and I started off our relationship being quite independent with the way that we, we have different groups of friends. We have different interests that we fulfill, like even just going out on the night, like in town or taking trips. Like he's done a lot of backpacking trips through Wildland Trekking, which is a company in, in the States. And, and I've gone to Europe a few times now to meet my brother who lives all over the place because he's in the foreign service. So he and I have met like in Porto and London and Amsterdam, and we've taken these trips together. And so I think that the relationship was established in a sense to have independence and autonomy within, you know, our togetherness. But as the years have gone on and as our interests have gotten bigger in terms of wanting to see the world and doing things, we definitely make it a priority to provide space for each other to take whatever opportunity we feel like we're being called to and support each other in that and encourage each other in that. So this was this is the biggest one, but there was not resistance of any kind from my husband about it. My kids, they're used to us leaving, like taking turns leaving not often, but a couple of times a year. And so they're very comfortable with just being home with just one of us. But I have to say, like, it's happened over time. It wasn't just that the first five years or so when they were very little, we didn't go further than, you know, maybe the other side of the state or on a yoga retreat for the weekend or something. So we've been feeling into when the time is right. And right now feels like a great time because they just have gained so much independence themselves. And we want to model this kind of stuff for them. We want them to grow up feeling like their world is theirs to explore. And when they're ready to to do more, it's available to them, whether it's with us or not. Hopefully, you know, we'll do a lot more traveling together. So I think the moment that has stuck with me the most is when my mom reminded my younger son that I'm just, I got a one-way ticket and he didn't understand what that meant. 
And he kind of paused. And then the next day we were out on a walk and he's like, can you tell me more about this one way ticket thing? (laughs) He got a little nervous, but I assured him it was, you know, it was just a matter of a few days. Like I just didn't want a specific day hanging over my head that I had to get on that plane for if I didn't have to. So, so he's chilled out about it and they're excited. They're really excited about it. Oh my gosh. I love the idea of, of what you're modeling for them, what you, what you said about that and that you're showing them this is a way that it can happen. This is possible. But you also said that you have been building up to it. You've been sort of setting the stage or training them. This is a good possibility. This is a good thing because kids learn what we teach them, right? And so you set that example and they have that. So if I were to sit down with them, and ask them what they think about this. What do you think they would say? I think they would say that they're excited uh, for my adventure, that they're happy for me, that they hope I stay safe. Yeah, it's a great question. I would love to hear their responses being asked by someone other than, you know, uh, us, how they're feeling about it. But I also think that they're so busy in their own lives and kind of in their ages right now that they haven't quite like it hasn't landed for them Mm. perhaps that it's you know what what is actually happening so I think it's just so important to be clear with yourself about what you want and then take whatever steps needed to make that happen I think I have heard a lot of like, oh, I could never do that. Or I, I don't see how that could ever work. And it's sometimes it's about the stage you are in your life with your kids and that it's just not the right time. But other times we're holding ourselves back when it's just us that are, that are the reason why it's not happening. It's like if we express ourselves clearly to the people whose support we need, we don't know how they respond yet until we try. And then if they don't respond the way we hope, then don't give up on that and just, you know, try again a year later or, you know, six months later or however long it feels until it's time to try again, because, because we only live once, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, those are words of wisdom, Yana. Total words of wisdom. Thank you for that. Absolutely. So have you thought at all about how you'll stay in touch with them while you're gone? Have you thought about maybe how you will involve them in what you're doing? Great question. And I have thought about it, but I don't have the answer yet. I've seen so many different examples of ways to do it. I've seen apps that you can journal on and, and, you know, even geo trackers that can just keep like a little pin on me wherever I am, or, you know, touching base via WhatsApp or whatever. And I don't know yet. I, I imagine there will be some way that we'll keep in touch. I don't know that it's going to be every day. I don't know that they would need or want that either. And again, like back to my, you know, open experience, I don't know that I'll want to reach out often once I get into, I feel like in the beginning maybe, and then maybe there'll be a stretch of time where I'll just like give a thumbs up or a heart, you know, on in a text, but not say a whole lot more. And it'll probably kind of ebb and flow with contact. Mm -hmm. I understand that from personal experience, just with staying in touch with friends and family. Because I always have these great intentions. I'm going to set up a structure and I'm going to 
call this often and text this often. And then I get into the mode. I get into the Camino rhythm and there's so much around me and so much beauty and so much interaction and other pilgrims. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's people at home. Yeah. Which could, for some people listening to this, that could be a concern. Oh no. What if I get into that mode and I forget my family at home? Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested to see how you balance that. Yeah. I absolutely know I will not forget my family. (laughs) (laughs) It will be in my pocket the whole time. But yeah, it would be interesting too. I look forward to letting you know after. Yeah, I look forward to that for sure. So tell me a bit about the choice of the Portuguese route. And you said you did a little bit with your brother. Why the Portuguese in general? Sure. And when we did it, it was completely unintentional. We saw the yellow arrows by the cathedral and I knew what they meant. My friend Felicia had just done the Camino recently, I think within months of that, where I had learned what the yellow arrows mean and where they might, where I might find them. I had such a feel of goosebumps seeing the arrows and we ended up walking. I didn't know at the time that we were on the Camino, but now looking at the map and seeing how, you know, how the trip's going to take me from Porto along the ocean and through the city. I realized that we did walk a chunk of it. So yeah, it's not a matter of, it, it wasn't intentional, as was my point on that. And how I chose Portuguese is, A, I loved Porto. I loved the feeling in that city. It was so welcoming and friendly and delicious and beautiful. And so going back there feels very comfortable. And also in Every travel that I've ever experienced where there's been ocean along a walk, I feel like I could do it forever. And there's always something that's pulling me out of it. You know, it's time to go or the walk ends or, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, like I can't walk as long as I want with the ocean on my side. So when I learned about, I I knew that 500 miles for the Camino Frances was too much for me at this point, perhaps in the future. And when I learned that there was something along the the coast, the whole way, it was kind of a, there was no turning back at that point. That was going to be the one. Oh, that's great. It's so good to dial into what calls to you and Mm -hmm. what experience would be satisfying to you because the Camino, that whole community of pilgrims exists on all these routes. And so if what you're looking for is the pilgrim community, with the shared dinners around the table and people from all different countries and talking different languages. If that's what you're looking for, it's everywhere. But Mm -hmm. to actually look at the characteristics of an individual route and zero in on the ocean, that's where you're in the right place for you. Right. I want to make sure I mention this. I've always just assumed that people listening know what the yellow arrows are about. So I want to make sure that people know that the yellow arrows are what are used to mark the trail. And so people think, oh, I got to get this map or this app, or I've got to navigate the compass or whatever. But the reality is you can follow the trail markers the entire way on all of these routes. And they're painted on rocks and trees and posts and the ground and buildings. They're painted everywhere. And so you actually can follow the whole route just with those arrows. I think what endears pilgrims to those yellow arrows is that 
they've been leading us and we've been trusting them. And when you trust something, it becomes very significant and important to you. And so by trusting these arrows, now we see an arrow in our home country and we get all teary-eyed and melodramatic and everything. But yeah, we love the yellow arrows. Okay. I'm imagining you in Porto because Porto is one of my favorite cities in Europe. It is extraordinary. I agree with you. Okay. Well, so let's see. Have you come across any challenges or frustrations in getting ready for the Camino? I think one of the things that I'm finding challenging is all the different camps, like different perspectives on some of the things that, for example, which route to take. I mean, I know I'm going to stay along the ocean or for today, right now in this moment, I feel like (laughs) that's what I'm going to do. However, I know that the Camino Portuguese also has the option to veer off into the central route mm-hmm. and people have an opinion about which route is better and why. And I also know that elements are going to, you know, determine some of that. If the weather is too hot on the ocean day after day, I might want to veer into the central route. So that's another whole thing about the navigation of like how your Camino is going to go based on other people's experiences and not to get over influenced yet, keep them in mind just enough. So for example, just before we got on this call, there's an awesome group on Facebook, which is specific to May of the Camino Portuguese 2023. So it's so cool. There's like 400 people and climbing every day. Mm-hmm. And one of the women like responded to somebody else in the group and they, and she said, he said he was leaving on May 20th. And she said, have you booked all of your places? Because I'm finding them all booked already. And so I'm, you know, going in, not planning to book. And then I read that and I'm like, okay, so, you know, should I change my mind about that? And so I'm asking her, like, are you talking about the central or the coastal? Are you talking about just albergues or also like hostels and Airbnbs, you know, more information. So sometimes more is less and sometimes less is more and just navigating through all the information has been overwhelming but it's also so great to have you know and mm-hmm. things that I haven't considered over and over again have just been brought up to consider and to be able to just think about before heading out so that's been very helpful i tend to be a person that lives a little bit in the future and so i already kind of have a sensation around when it's over I try to maintain a sense of being in the middle and being grounded and and all that, but I do love highs. And like, I go for sometimes those experiences that provide a really high, high, and this is going to be one of those. And so coming back off of it, I'm like already projecting into the future about how that will feel. And I'm just trying to calm myself down from that, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, just ride it as each day happens and unfolds. What are you projecting that you will feel when you're done? Because that's actually one of my questions. Imagine you're in Santiago and you have finished this and you're standing there at the cathedral. What's going on with you? Yeah. So I think historically, and I think it's based on the choices I make for the places I go, but I very rarely want to leave anywhere. Mm. So I had that feeling in Greece more than probably anywhere in the world. I was just really like sad to tears about leaving and not, and just not being ready to. So that feeling of, yes, there were lots of challenges. Yes. I overcame all this stuff. And 
like I'm not done. And that feeling of I'm not done and it's time to go is probably what I'm projecting the most. And then, you know, from those high experiences coming home and bringing it back and how, how to integrate and how to provide space for that integration to affect my life at home in a positive way that will ripple out through, through myself, through my family, into the community, you know, what, what will I have learned on my Camino experience that I can bring home and be more of a person of service in some way, in ways that I don't even know what they are yet, you know? So that's not, that's not a negative thing, but it's just something that I think about for the future. Like, so staying in the moment is a Mm -hmm. challenge for me. Mm. And that's one of the things that Camino can teach you. Yeah. That's one of those things. And I think the challenge of integrating the Camino back into your life is one that many pilgrims face Mm -hmm. because we find ourselves, we find that best version of ourself. And then we wonder, do I have to be on the Camino to know that person or to experience that person? And I'm going to suggest, no, I'm going to suggest that the you that reaches Santiago that is all this, whatever has happened is someone you can take back home to your family and your community. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I just like every experience that is drastically different than something that is your day-to-day life. There is a, a piece of it that will always stay with you and, and affect your life moving forward. I'm so open to the idea of changing every day. Like I'm never the same person twice. And I just imagine that the Camino will exponentially provide that in ways that feel grander and bigger than, you know, something else I've done, but it's all going to be magic and it's going to be amazing. And just to segue for a moment into some of the less sunshine kind of experiences that people have had, I really appreciate seeing those and learning those experiences too. And I've read just in the recent days about some pretty intense stuff that people have dealt with out there. And I'm glad to know those things. Mm -hmm. Doesn't scare me. It makes me feel more aware and informed and putting myself in those shoes for a moment. What if that happens to me kind of thing? And so that's really helpful. It is good to have a dose of reality because oftentimes the people who show up online to talk about their Camino experiences, whether it's on Facebook or on an English language forum or other language forum, are people who had those wonderful transformational magical experiences. And the people who had a rough time or a crap time or didn't like it, they don't come talk about it. And so it is actually really helpful to hear those stories. Absolutely. Yeah, really helpful. And I was thinking about what you said about being sad because I've experienced that as well, where I get to the end of a trip and there is some, I'm not done. I want more. And what I realize is that sadness, I've learned to welcome it because it's an indicator to me that I did it well, that mm-hmm. I did the trip well, that I'm sad that it's over. To me, that means I, I grabbed it by the horns or whatever metaphor you want to use. I was really engaged in it. And sadness is then an appropriate response to having it end. Yeah. I um, often use the Dr. Seuss quote with my kids. Don't be sad that it's over. Be glad that it happened. Mm, That is exactly it. 
but adding to that, it's okay to be sad that it's over too. That's right. And, and that's part of it. And if you didn't have the experience, there would be nothing to be sad about. So. (laughs) Yep. That is exactly it. Very well said. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about, have you heard the saying, wherever you go, there you are. Sure. Yeah. And so what you've been describing and the attitude with which you're going into it, you're going to take that with you, that all of those beliefs and all those strengths and all those thoughts about who you are and what it will be are going with you. And that's who will show up on the Camino. And the flip side is true. If somebody goes into it with, I'm terrified and everything's going to go wrong, that belief system will go with you and unfortunately attract more of that. So it's so important to go in with a mindset that says, this is my journey and I'm going to make it what I want. I'm going to have it be what I want. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're going in strong. Yeah. And like, I remember reading a proverb at one point that said, fear it and it will happen. And in my experience, it's kind of the opposite. It's like, whatever you fear specifically is very less likely to happen. I just like remembering a trip that I took in at Yellowstone. It was like a six night backpacking trip with llamas. And we were, I got a phone call from the guide because I put down on the form that I'm afraid of heights and snakes. And so he, he called me to say that because of the weather and the, all the rain, some of the logs have been washed away or, you know, swept out into the river. And there's just like these makeshift logs that are now, anyway, the point is that the river crossings were going to be a little more um, exciting, if you will, than they would have been before the storms or the rain. And I was so scared about that. Mm. He's like, are you going to be okay with that? I'm like, well, I think I'll be fine. It's just going to take a little longer. I'm just going to ask for more patience from the guides. It might take me a little while to, to do it because I tend to freeze when I'm like scared like that. But when I got there, we crossed 14 rivers. None of them were an issue, you know, and all of um, the fear that I put into that, like the energy that I put into that fear was completely wasted. Mm. That wasn't an issue at all. It was like a bunch of other things that I didn't expect. So I'm really trying to remind myself of that now that whatever specific little things I might be, you know, anxious about are unlikely going to be the thing that that I need to worry about. Well, and that's a great example of looking at how you've handled something in the past and knowing that you can handle stuff, knowing that you can ask the right questions, speak up for yourself for when you're when you do have a fear and and look at it in advance and just know I can handle this because you have handled this. I have said it before being human takes courage. And so if you are human, (laughs) if you're alive and living this life, you've got the courage it takes to walk the Camino. And if you have gotten to, if you're a parent, you have dealt with things that have empowered you and taught you how to deal with the unpredictable and how to deal with things that come up that are completely new that you have no experience in and deal with it on the fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are equipped (laughs) for handling or getting the most out of the Camino. No question. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to share with us about what's coming up and what what you're doing and what's on your mind about it? 
I'm just really enjoying, I'm enjoying my walks that are starting, you know, I'm starting to add mileage. I walk every day anyway, but I've never walked like three consecutive days on pavement or boardwalk. Like I've definitely hiked 10 miles for like six or seven days in a row, but this is going to be very different. And I, it's just an interesting thing to consider that nothing in my life to date has prepared me for this exact experience, yet everything in my life to date has prepared me for this experience, you know? Perfect. We could just stop there because <laughs> that is it. Fabulous. And I, I would also like to say to you, Nancy, that I'm really grateful to your work with this podcast. And I'm so thankful to the interviews that you've done so far. They've taught me so much already. I've taken notes. I've um, been given tips and advice from you, from the other pilgrims that you've interviewed. And most recently, I think it was your episode with Andrea and Jason. Jason, thank you. They were amazing. And I, I just recommend for everyone to listen to that one. And there was a specific piece. I even remembered it was like around minute 15 in the interview where Andrea was like, she, she touched into the reason, her why, you know, and, and she talked about getting with age comes the whole idea of being more open to embracing things as they come opposed to fighting and forcing them and, and trying to control them. And then she went on to say, like, she listed all these things, like, will there be bed bugs or no bed bugs? Will there be like, you know, will it be too hot, too cold? Will there be too much rain? You know, like, uh, well, I want to talk to people or uh, yeah, all these different factors that are all these unknowns. And it's so exciting to not know and to be open to whatever happens. Yeah, I'm just really looking forward to all of it. Excellent. And I'm going to put the link to that episode in the show notes for this episode. So people are sure to find it. So that leads me to, do you have any questions for me? I was thinking about this question of what questions I would ask you. And I've had so many of my questions answered in the forums and so many things that I continue to, to just sit with. But I guess one question is, so for someone like me, that's kind of going in it without, you know, a specific, like I'm, I don't have, I'm, I'm walking this number of kilometers by this day and staying in this albergue. And then just hearing like, you know, they're all filling up or whatnot. If that was you with your experience at this point, how would you navigate that? Yeah. So what I would do is I would have a reservation for my first two or three nights just to kind of put a, put a place mark on the calendar and have something just until I knew how busy it really is. Because when you book online or when you book, you know, actually when you book online or through booking.com or an app or something like that, a lot of places don't make available their entire inventory. So people say it's sold out. I can't get a place that might not mean there's no place. It just might mean booking.com doesn't have it. So what I like to do, as I said, is get those first couple of days booked. And then when I get there, I'll find out really what's going on. And it's so important to do that because let's just say you start on a Tuesday and there are 200 people starting and you're so glad you got your reservation because you know nobody else did and they can't find a bed. But let's just say you started on Thursday. There might be 30 people starting on Thursday and then there are plenty of beds. 
So even within a busy season, there's no way to know until you're actually feet on the ground how busy it is. So if you have those first couple days booked, then you get into the rhythm and you go, all right, I got a book. I can see it. I'm going to have to book two days ahead or three days ahead or one day ahead. You might get there and go, well, this is no problem. I'm not booking. But you, you truly won't know until you get there. Okay. That's reassuring. That's realistic. And it feels good to hear that, that you don't know until you're there. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'm just looking over notes just to see if there was something. Oh, I did want to mention one, one thing that um, I find important. So a lot of the podcasts, a lot of the conversations and just the rhythm of the Camino in general talks about the way you're going to eat and eating for me is a big deal. Cause I, I love fish, which is awesome, but I eat like a ton of vegetables every day and lots of fruit. And a lot of pictures that people are taking of food has lots of bread and the nata de pastel, or uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but the Portuguese sweet treat that everyone yeah. loves. I, I love too, but I don't want to have it every day. I'm curious about that. Like, will I just let go and say whatever, you know, we'll deal with it later. Or will I really like take those extra steps to find the, you know, the healthier food options and not. And I just wanted to mention that there are, and you have said this in the past, but there are um, Facebook groups for vegan and vegetarians out there, which is really reassuring and an awesome resource. And then the other thing that people talk a lot about is the drinking that happens on the Camino, like, you know, the wine at the end of the day, the specific even names that I've like picked up and taken notes on like people's favorite drinks to have. And I think too, like, there are a lot of people that probably take the journey to deal with alcohol dependency Mm -hmm. or recovery. And I just wanted to mention that I did also find a person and he is called Mr. Therapod. And he leads Camino tours for people in recovery. And he also has a podcast, which is Mr. Therapod. And that does exist out there. So I think I'm going to have an interesting time navigating that because I enjoy drinking wine and I don't want to like drink every day, but I also want to feel part of the community and like all of that. But I want to honor and just name that that's, that must be a really big challenge for people that are battling with recovery and dealing with trying to do the Camino sober. So it probably could be a challenge. Yeah. Because it's so ever present. And what's interesting though, is the attitude toward alcohol in Spain is different from what I grew up with and what I've seen in the U S in the areas that I've been, there's no stigma around alcohol. There's no stigma around having a glass of wine with lunch, with dinner. There's, there's nothing. And so sometimes what happens is I've seen it with Americans. We go over and we're like, whoa, look at all this alcohol. And it's so inexpensive. A glass of their finest wine will be two euros, which is about two and a quarter, $2.25. I like brandy. And so I get into this terrible habit of having a brandy every, every afternoon. And I'm not kidding. I haven't paid more than three euros for a glass of brandy. And what they do in Spain a lot on the Camino is they'll set the glass down. They'll start pouring. And I have to stop them. Please stop. That's, that's more than I need. And then it's two, three euros. So there's sort of a culture thing that alcohol is like, it's no big deal. You drink or you don't, we don't care. But it is readily available and it will be on the table and it will take some strength for people to say, no, thank you. 
if they don't want any. So yeah, I really appreciate the referral to Mr. Therapod. I'll find a link and put that in the notes for people who need that. Thank you for passing that on. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And the wine is good. Both Portugal and Spain are wine producing regions. Yeah. And are you a vegetarian or vegan? I'm almost like a vegan pescatarian. I know that's, it's just that I don't eat a lot of dairy, like very rarely, but I do eat fish, but I'm mostly plant-based um, with yeah. the exception of fish. So I think it'll be challenging, but doable. It's totally doable. I'm a vegetarian who prefers vegan, but on the Camino, I do end up doing yogurt and cheese and, and milk just to get some protein uh, sources. And the thing is what people will report is often missing are vegetables. Mm -hmm. You and I know that a vegetarian diet is not about vegetables. It includes vegetables, but it's just about not eating animal products. And so there are many things that are not animal products that are not vegetables. So like all the legumes and the grains and the pulses and all of that. And so what it takes is knowing how to ask for what you need in the language of your country. Mm -hmm. Right now, the the exciting news I found about Portugal. I did a road trip to Portugal last fall after I finished walking the Camino Frances, and I was told that by law, all restaurants must have at least two vegan items on the menu. Wow, by law, right? That's not true in Spain. It's not even close to true in Spain, but in Portugal, do French fries count? <laughs> they probably do. Yeah. They probably do. And what it also means though, is that there are more vegetarian and vegan restaurants in Portugal. And so I was absolutely delighted to discover that. Nice. And have you done the Camino Portuguese? I haven't. On my road trip, I drove along a good part of it. I wanted to just see the area. And I spent four nights in Caminha, which is, I think it's on the coastal variant. Is Caminha, isn't that like pretty much where Portugal the border of Spain and Portugal meet? It is. It's at the mouth of the river. And I can't think of the name of the river offhand, but from Caminha, you can either walk inland and walk over a bridge, or you can get the water taxi that goes across. And I found the water taxi sign and the, the guy who was doing it was like, Ooh, I want to do that. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So one day I will, I just, when I lead groups, I lead them on the front test. So most of my time is spent there. Incredible. I'm so blown away by the way the Camino is like swooped in in your life and, and what it's created for you. It's fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. And I've got a few things in the works, some other things to help pilgrims get started. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Any other questions before we wrap up? I don't know. Is there anything from our time that, that you feel you would like to share with me or say to me before I depart in 56 days? <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're counting down or anything, right? You know, the only thing I would say, since you've got an open-ended finish, and that's the advice that I gave at the very beginning of the podcast series in season one is don't rush the start. Mm -hmm. And so even though you've been to Porto, mm -hmm. it's a great practice, I find to carve out time for reflection and for contemplation. And based on what you've told me in this conversation, you are, you are ripe for that sort of thing, you know, just to really be with yourself and be with what 
messages are coming out from the universe within you that are saying, Yana, you know, and whispering in your ear to take the time to hear those. When you get to your starting point, it's really easy to get caught up in the buzz and the energy and the flow of pilgrims heading out. And I haven't walked out of Porto, but I can imagine it's probably similar to the energy in St. Jean-Pied-du-Port on the Frances route that people are like, oh my gosh, we're going over the Pyrenees. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And so there's just this boost of energy pushing you out of town. But St. Jean is a wonderful place to spend a couple days and just enjoy being there. You know, Porto, I always say Porto is my idea of the perfect European city. And like you described, not wanting to leave Santiago or leave the Camino, I didn't want to leave Porto because it is so beautiful and it's on the mouth of a river. So you've got riverfront and oceanfront. And by the way, it's the home of port wine, which is dessert wine, my two favorite words together. So yeah, so that's my only thing is don't, don't rush the start. The thing is you only ever get one first Camino start. Never again will you be at this place in your life with this experience happening. The next time you go, it'll be good and exciting, but it won't be your first Camino. And so to savor that and just take your time, that's my number one tip. That's a great tip. And thank yeah. you for that. And I could completely see that's why I've ordered my credential ahead of time and, and making that decision about Porto or skipping it because of actually that anticipation of getting into the swell and feeling the energy and just wanting to go. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that and bringing me back down a little bit. Yeah. And maybe the time for you would be to do that in Lisbon if you haven't already booked your train ticket. Right. To have an extra day in Lisbon to get into that time zone and to just do some observing and see who's around and what life is like in Portugal and feel your way through that. Great tip as well. Mm. I haven't been to Lisbon, but I heard it's amazing. Same. I have not been, but heard yeah. great things. Yeah. So I'm going to want to hear. I'm going to want to hear about it. So last thing before we wrap up, I want to mention this. You said that you've ordered your credential already. So let's make sure we let people know how to do that. Was that through American Pilgrims? Yes. Okay. Will you tell us what you did and how you got that? Sure. It was really easy. Uh, I was just clicking on the website and filling out some very basic information, name, address, starting point, starting date, return date. I just put an approximate date and they said within two weeks, I should receive the credential in the mail and they don't send it out if you're like six to 12 months out. But I think if you're starting the Camino within three months, their kind of window of when they'll send it to you. Yes. And you want to make sure you don't wait too late because I think they do it in batches, maybe once a month or twice a month. Right. And so you don't want to do it the week before you go. But what I love about the credential from the American pilgrims is it comes with your name printed in it. Aww. Yeah. So you get it and you're like, oh, this is real. That's me. Yeah. Right. So it's really nice. And that's right on the website. I'll put the website in the note so people can get that. And then I'll also give you my top tip, which might've been in one of the episodes from season one, which is as soon as you get your credential to write your contact information in it, your email address and your phone number, and there's no place for it. So you just have to find some white space to write it so that in the event that you forget it or you drop it, 
the person who finds it can get it back to you because that credential becomes treasured with that history of your walk played out in the stamps that you get along the way. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Absolutely. That's a great tip. This has been really fun for me. I hope this has been good for you as well. Very much. Yeah. I just love hearing your perspective because your perspective is, is unique in so many ways. And with every interview that I do, I hear different perspectives and different stories and they're all just so beautiful to me. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and I wish you a beautiful journey. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thanks for everything. And I can't wait to touch base upon return and fill you in. I look forward to that. All right. Thank you. 